Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. What's on the sustainability agenda for Australia's publicly listed companies this year? Every year, Perennial Better Futures takes the temperature of a wide range of companies to answer just that question. And on this episode, we're talking with Emily O'Neill, co-head of ESG and equities analyst of the Perennial Better Futures Trust to get the observations from this year's survey. Emily, welcome back to The Greener Way. Um, We're here to talk about the annual Perennial Better Futures ESG survey. Um, Can you please give us a brief rundown of this year's results, if you please? Thank you so much, Rachel. Really excited to talk about this year's Perennial Better Future Survey, which is actually in its fifth year of operation. And our survey is about asking ASX-listed corporates all about ESG and sustainability within their business. And because we are now in the fifth year of the survey, we can get a really interesting time series across the different companies, across industry, and across company size. So this year, we asked Mm -hmm. 35 questions related to ESG and sustainability, and participants came from a range of industries and company sizes. This year, the key findings did relate to the ESG topics in focus for corporates in 2024, which we always use to guide our forward engagements, and we can touch on that a little bit uh, later on. But also what was really interesting this year was the increasing ESG accountability with more dedicated ESG staff and senior and board level oversight and a stronger focus on ESG KPIs in executive remuneration. We also found that uh, found it quite telling that 61% of companies stated that ESG and sustainability provides profit opportunities for their business. And it was also pleasing Mm -hmm. to see that when asked about how important ESG and sustainability will be for the business in the next five to 10 years, it was actually ranked 7.5 out of 10, demonstrating the importance of understanding material ESG issues as investors. Well, look, there's so much information that we can uncover just from that opening that opening <laughs> statement there, Emily. Um, so I think if I'm remembering correctly from from reading the survey, um, there was a preponderance um, in respondents from financial and industrial sectors. But you know, is there a little bit extra you can talk about sort of, you know, who the respondents were? You know, is there a distribution? Are we hearing only from the top end or are we uh, sort of uh, of the town? Or are we sort of getting a distribution of market capitalization as well and people that are uh, choosing or companies that are choosing to respond to the survey? Yeah, thanks for the question, Rachel. So, we do have a reasonable representation across industry sectors. Um, As you rightly point Mm -hmm. out, the top contributor was the financials, but we also had really strong input from industrials, IT companies, communication, and healthcare and retail. Um, On the tail end, Mm -hmm. we also had Um, participants from the consumer discretionary industries, mining and oil and gas, REITs, and also utilities. In terms Mm -hmm. of company size, we again had Mm -hmm. a reasonably um, good split between the different market cap segments. So about 13% Mm -hmm. of respondents were under 200 million market cap, just over 20% between 200 and a billion, and 41% between 1 and 5 billion, and the remaining 25% over 5 billion. So you can see we actually had reflection from a quite a good um, split across the market cap spectrum. I think that's one of the things that keeps me uh, sort of on on the edge of my seat, <laughs> if you'll forgive the hyperbole when it comes to the release of the survey, because each there's always been a really good 
survey of the diversity of the Australian market. Um, and it's also gotten b- bigger, ye- better year on year. So again, it, it, as you say, it gives a really good glimpse into what's going on across a broad range of the listed space in Australia. Thanks. Yeah, I think that really comes from <laughs> our focus in the Better Future Fund is on smaller cap companies and mid-cap companies. So um, Mm. contrary to other Mm -hmm. surveys you may see out there, we do tend to get quite strong participation from the small end of the market, given that that's that's Mm. been our focus of this particular fund. But equally, we get strong contributions from the larger end of town, given our other um, perennial products. So we have really nice relationships with our corporates and we're really thankful for their participation year in, year out on our survey. So as you pointed out before, Emily, this is the fifth year you've been reporting on this survey. Um, and again, another thing that's always fascinated me about the, the survey is that, you know, year in, year out, there tends to be sort of the same material sustainability issues writ large, sort of one to 10. Um, but the relative importance can really fluctuate over time. How are ESG issues ranked this year versus 2022? And and what do you think accounts for that fluctuation? It's a really great observation, Rachel, you're absolutely correct. So we offer, uh, you know, corporate to participate in the survey, a really long laundry list of potential ESG issues that they may may find important. But as you mentioned, we do tend Mm. to see the top five themes are pretty consistent over the last five years. But as you rightly point out, they do shift in order of priority on a year on year basis. So this year, which is the 2023 survey, greenhouse gas emissions and alignment with the Paris Agreement actually took the number one position for for factors that corporates are focusing on in the last 12 to 18 months. And actually, Mm. almost half of the participants in the survey did select it as a top three issue. And my, I suspect that this is probably because you know, we've seen increasing national focus on environmental concerns, Mm. but we've also seen global reporting standards increasingly prioritize environmental reporting. And we also know that environmental concerns have been top of mind globally. So it takes, seems to take all of the news headlines. It really is the focus at every conference I go to. uh, Every company seems to be talking about their clean energy strategy. So it's definitely not surprising as to why it would be the top priority this year. Uh, and this is mm. particularly important when we know that mandatory environmental disclosures are coming out with ISSB reporting as well. Mm. Cybersecurity this year was came in at second place and diversity and inclusion took the third position this year. And when we look at previous years, in 2022, cybersecurity actually took the top place, which was then followed by greenhouse gas emissions and then by diversity and inclusion. So, um, and then if we look back a few years before that, back in 2019, diversity actually took the top place. So, I think in mm. terms of cybersecurity in 2022, it, it although it does remain a really large focus for corporates, given the increasing prevalence and severity of cyber attacks and data privacy issues, in 2022, that was a year where we saw some big, very public cybersecurity attacks occur. And so this is probably why mm. it drove the number one priority last year in 2022. But it does seem that diversity is always front of mind for corporate Australia. But in the last couple of years, it seems to have kind of remained two or three in the priority list. But actually in 2024, mm. I do expect it to potentially bump up given the mandatory... Um, Wajia reporting that is 
really putting diversity and equity pay into focus um, this year. I personally can't wait to see the reports on the equity on the equity pay gap. And I'm sure there's a lot of investors like yourselves who are also eagerly looking at that and going to be eagerly looking at that information. <laughs> I'm really interested because we do sometimes have companies voluntarily report their gender pay gap, but definitely mm. having the mandatory disclosures will provide a lot greater information. It should standardize the reporting and it should be really telling and give us a base to work on where we can mm. engage to drive improvements in, in pay equity. So I'm yeah, also really looking forward to that. So I guess looking forward, when we ask companies about what areas are a focus in the coming few years, it seems that the same three topics are going to be in focus again. So <laughs> greenhouse gas emissions, diversity and inclusion and cybersecurity all took the top three places. But if we look a little bit mm. lower in the statistics, this year we saw biodiversity and also Indigenous relations increasing in focus as a forward-looking priority. So really keenly mm. watching that. It'd also be really interesting to see if there's some, you know, without without sounding like we're handicapping a horse race, um, you know, if if government, you know, does propose significant reforms to the Modern uh, Slavery Act, um, you know, I know there's legislation in, in front of parliament right now for an, a national anti-slavery commissioner. Um, That's right. It'd be interesting to see if those headlines and that information, you know, causes um, an unexpected fluctuation by end of year in terms of how that comes back up the, you know, sort of the the consideration. Yes, I agree, because it actually did peak and came a top issue in 2020 and 2021, but has seemed to kind mm-hmm. of um, slip slip back um, in the priority list, given mm-hmm. it's kind of a little bit out of, out of I guess, out of the headlines. But yes, I, I agree. I mm-hmm. think with the review of the Commonwealth Modern Slavery Act, we should start to see an increasing focus on how companies are managing their issues in their supply chain, but equally how rigorous their reporting is. Because as you you know, you well know, there has been some criticism about the modern slavery reports that companies are putting out, potentially not being detailed enough, really not providing useful information for investors or other stakeholders. So I do think that that's going to come into focus. Yeah, I think, you know, that that issue around whether or not there's a mandatory due diligence around human rights and modern slavery. And again, how that then influences the thinking of that as an ESG issue, whether at some point, and I wonder about this long term, and we're sort of wandering from the point of this survey, but, you know, longer term as mandatory financial uh, climate reporting comes in as mandatory, you know, say if mandatory human rights due diligence comes in, does that recede as a sustainability issue? And does that become sort of a risk and compliance issue? Mm. Um, Again, this is what keeps me so interested in the space, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting seeing that shifting landscape from voluntary reporting to mandatory reporting and how that's going to drive the market going forward. I think there will always be Mm. a way to look at it from a sustainability perspective in terms of how their performance Mm. is and going to improve over time. And obviously, you know, emissions and environment, it's so critical, both from how environment is going to affect your business and how your business is affecting the environment. So I agree it's becoming more of a, you know, uh, compliance-based reporting exercise, but doesn't mean it's not a material Mm -hmm. factor for investors. The other thing that really stood out, and you referenced this earlier in the interview, Emily, um, the fact that you did a deep dive on how companies are incentivizing management and man- and sort of second and third tier managers when it comes to ESG issues. Look, I can remember, you know, <laughs> having done this for a few years, and I'm sure you as well, you know, the idea that ESG would sudden- would come into the REM report and come into KPIs 
was a fairly radical idea, not, mm-hmm. not even that many years ago. So it's interesting to see you have enough data available to write something about this in this year's survey. How many companies are paying out short and long-term incentives linked to key sustainability issues and how are they doing it? Great question and really interesting findings this year. So according Mm. to our survey, about 45% of respondents integrate ESG into their short-term KPIs, but also an additional Mm -hmm. 20% integrated into both short-term and long-term KPIs. So that's quite a large percentage of participants this year that have, you know, really integrated ESG metrics into their remuneration plans, which is really pleasing to see. It is typically more common for larger companies to have ESG-linked KPIs and smaller companies tend to Mm. lag in this sector a little bit. So, 63% of smaller companies do not have REM linked to ESG outcomes, while only 24% of larger companies do not have REM linked to ESG outcomes. So, we can see that large cap, small cap skew there. We did Mm. find that the most common KPIs were employee engagement scores, which is, you know, as you would know, is typically a figure that's taken from self-reported employee surveys about how um, engaged the employee is within the business, which ultimately is an indicator Mm -hmm. of productivity, turnover. So, that's quite an important indicator there um, and tends to be quite a common one for KPIs. And 23% of companies in our survey use this as a metric in in their ESG remuneration. Mm. Not surprising to see that gender diversity was also the second most common KPI, and that was followed by customer net promoter score. So that's all about how likely customers are to recommend your business to a friend. Emissions and alignment with the Paris Agreement had 13% of companies integrating this into the remuneration plan, I do expect and hope to see that increase over time because we think this is a really important one to keep management aligned, particularly when we're seeing commitments that are made quite long-term but really need action today. So we would like to see greenhouse gas emissions in alignment with the Paris Agreement integrated into remuneration on a short, medium and long-term basis so that's that's one that I would hope and like to see pick up and, and we will engage on that going forward. But safety performance mm. also came in with 9% of companies reporting that as, an, as a metric. Mm. What was really interesting was we actually found that companies with direct board accountability for ESG and sustainability were 22% more likely to have ESG KPIs. And I think that this demonstrates the importance of having governance, accountability for ESG at those most senior levels, so at the board and executive management, uh, because we do see that filter down to the organization. So, that's something that we've, Mm. we've tried to engage on over the last few years is really having someone on the board or an organizational committee on the board that's responsible for ESG issues. That'd be interesting if we're flipping the old uh, the old saying on the head, what gets managed, get measured instead of its usual utilization. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, Emily, I know we bat about this this one back and forth quite frequently. Um, it, what's what's interesting to me about short and long term remuneration linked to ESG KPIs is how do you know when companies are setting true stretch targets that are deserving of extra incentivization on top of what's business as usual or part of a manager's normal portfolio of business. I assume that this is something that's going to develop and it's something that you you, you do within engagements with companies. But you know, how do you know when a KPI linked to ESG is truly stretch and when it's just giving, you know, one hates to say money for jam? Another really good observation and question, Rachel, I think this is quite a complicated one because 
Mm. KPIs, you know, the disclosure tends to be a little bit mixed. Companies, you know, you know, there is commercial information that exists within an executive's incentive plan. And so typically disclosures aren't always telling of, of what they're actually achieving. I think you're completely right in saying that, you know, we do want ESG KPIs to not just be a tick the box, you know, uh, for investors that they want to see it in there. Like we actually want meaningful ESG KPIs integrated into the remuneration plan, which are incentivized in a way to drive improvements in the business. We don't just want to see it there as a token a token item. So we mm. do ask companies when we see ESG, you know, for example, if it is employee engagement, we'll ask companies, okay, well, firstly, how are you measuring it? When are you measuring it? Who's participating in the, in those surveys? Because often a lot of the time they're optional. Um, so, you know, what is your participation rate for those surveys? And what's your baseline? Like what has that mm. that been over the last few years and what is in the targets? Because we want to not just say, okay, if you get the same result as last year or as four years ago, then that's considered a good outcome and tick, you get your ESG allocated remuneration. Actually, what we want to see is, mm. okay, this is your baseline. This is where your peers are at or this is where, you know, you should be for, for your type of business that's where we want to see incentives driven. And we want to make sure it's measured in a robust way, in a consistent way, so that we can ensure that it's, you know, meaningful to the business. So that's something that we've definitely been engaging with on on corporate Australian businesses. Uh, and that typically happens around AGM season. So we we mm. will continue to do that, particularly as as we've seen, it's becoming more common to have ESG KPIs in the remuneration plans. Now that you have these fresh observations um, on what companies are up to when it comes to sustainability, um, how does this shape the way you engage with companies and in, in 2024 and what's on your agenda for the rest of this year? Great question. So we're excited for a big 2024. <laughs> um, 75% of the survey participants identified that investors have become more focused on ESG and sustainability in the last 12 months. So it's it's no surprise that it's going to continue to be of focus for us given that we're a dedicated sustainability product and engagement is key to our strategy. So we're really trying to focus on those material sustainability outcomes for companies in our perennial better future portfolio. I guess what was quite interesting was the increasing focus on reconciliation action plans from corporates. So this is an area that we really tried to focus on in 2023 on the back of perennial's own corporate uh, reconciliation action plan. And we actually saw this year that 50% of our survey participants had launched a wrap with an additional 16% mm -hmm. intending to do so in the next 18 months. And compared to the 2022 survey, that, that was at 24% last year. So mm. we're seeing a really strong increase in, in focus on reconciliation. And I think that that's critical because a wrap is really the first step in trying to ensure empowerment of traditional owners. Mm-hmm. We'll also be focused this year on preparing our companies for the upcoming mandatory sustainability disclosures under the ISSB standards. And part of a, a big part of those disclosures include greenhouse gas emissions. And in our survey this year, 19% of companies indicated that they did not measure or disclose their greenhouse gas emissions profile. So we're just trying to work with that tail end uh, to ensure that they're 
putting steps in place to measure their greenhouse gas emissions profile, find their baseline, set targets, um, make sure they're science-based and, and we're, we're helping our companies along that journey. Mm. The survey also showed that about 60% of participants think that ISSB reporting will actually improve ESG and sustainability disclosures, which is really promising for us um, and particularly important given that 44% said that sustainability reporting has become burdensome. And we really agree with that mm. because, because there is that lack of standardization in reporting. There tends to be so many different people asking for sustainability information in all different ways. And we agree with corporates that I think ISSB standards will align that reporting and make it a lot more simple for, for, for businesses to mm. report sustainability information. But given our focus on smaller companies, it was interesting to see that when we asked companies if they've experienced positive business outcomes as a result of focusing on sustainability, 91% of smaller companies agreed or strongly agreed with that statement. And that actually compares to 67% of larger companies. And I think that that demonstrates the importance of engagement with these smaller listed businesses on the ASX on ESG and sustainability issues, because we can see it's likely to improve their business resilience and outcomes over time. It's really pleasing when you see companies that are seeing ESG and sustainability as value or creative as opposed to a cost center, uh, because that's where you can really get that deep, that, that deep strategy embedding and, and, and forward action. That's exactly right, Rachel. We're, re we're really excited. We think that the survey did provide a really pleasing outlook for sustainability in, in Australia and for investors. So, you know, we think 2024 will be a really exciting year for us. Let's leave it on that note. Uh, we've been talking with Emily O'Neill, co-head of ESG and equities analyst at Perennial Better Futures Trust. Now, I'd like to ask our lovely and engaged listeners one more favor to please stick around to the very end of the podcast so that we can get those fat retention statistics up that make us so happy. Listen to the disclosures. It's like eating your vegetables only with your ears. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.